Welcome to the Council of God. I am your host, Christian Nahira. Today we're going to be discussing what the anointing does for us. Several months ago, maybe around two or three months ago, maybe a little bit more than that, I discussed what is the anointing. And I mentioned that there was going to be three parts to this. We discussed what is the anointing. Today we're going to discuss what the anointing does for us. Now, today's topic it's going to be uh, split in two parts because it has a lot of information for us that we need to know because we have only been taught what is the anointing and how to operate in it, right? There's the power of God, right, for us to carry out a special task. And they give examples such, a, uh, such as King David, uh, Elijah, and many men of, 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 uh, that have been anointed. And... Uh, but I think it's important that we discover what it does for us. So, in Isaiah 10.27, and this is going to have a two-part to it, like I mentioned, because it's it's very deep. And Isaiah 10.27, it goes on to say, And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder, and his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Now, when it says that, and it shall come to pass in that day that his burden burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder, and the yoke from off his neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. What is that talking about there? How, how is it that the anointing is going to, Take away the burden from our shoulders and the yoke from off the neck. How is it that the yoke is going to be destroyed? Now, in order for us to understand that, we need to go back and look at Exodus. And we're going to focus on Exodus and we're going to focus on the five ingredients of the anointing. So, once we understand the five ingredients... Then on part two, we're going to discuss how is it that the anointing destroys the yoke off our neck and removes that burden off that shoulder. And what is it talking about and how that affects us? Because that in itself, this verse right here in Isaiah 10, 27 is very deep. And many of us are going through this. Many of us are experiencing this. And that is why I want to share with you that when Jesus makes the invitation, it says right here, Matthew eleven twenty eight down to 30. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, we don't have rest in our soul. Well, we understand that there's a burden on us put by the enemy. Well, we understand what that yoke is. That it's on our neck and what that represents, what all that represents, we really have no rest in our soul, in our mind. Even as Christians, that's why we go through the struggles that we go through. Because, like I said, that he'll give us rest from our labor. And then he goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest on, unto your souls. You see? 
It is a soul where we feel the burden. It is a soul where we feel that yoke that is bearing us down. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, there's a burden of the enemy. There's a yoke of the enemy. And then there's a yoke and the burden of God, which is light and easy. Versus the one that the enemy puts on you, forget it. And we're going to discuss on part two that verse in Isaiah 10, 27. But right now, I want to focus on this part one of what the anointing does for us. Now, in Exodus chapter 30, verses 22 to 25, it goes on to say, Moreover, the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Take also unto thee spices of pure myrrh, of sweet cinnamon, calamus, casia, and olive oil. And thou shalt make it a holy of holy uh, ointment, that shall be a holy anointing oil. And then it goes on to explain, um, you know, what it was going to be used for. It was going to be used for, uh, to anoint the tabernacle. And then it goes on to say, And thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons, and consecrate them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. And then it goes on to say that they were not supposed to duplicate it, because it was holy, it was sacred, it was sort of part. And they were only to be used for a specific anointing. For a specific use only. You see, that cannot be duplicated. There's nothing in this world that can take the place of God. See, I've said it before that God is the originator of everything. You're not the originator of everything. You cannot find happiness in you. The source is not in you. And that's what psychologists teach. That is in you. You need to look deep down in you. You need to search your subconscious. You need to look within you. You see, it does not start in you. It starts with God. And it's Him that shows you. Yeah, you might go through a season where you feel good. Where you feel, you know, uh, you feel that you have overcame and all that. But it cannot be duplicated. It's all done by your own efforts. Because the Bible says... That our righteousness are as filthy rags. And you know what that means? That your good deeds, the fact that you know you're a better person and all that, is like filthy rags. And what it's talking about is when a woman has her period, it's because those eggs were not produced. And so, therefore, because those eggs were not produced, they died. And that's what women bleed. They bleed out. Those eggs that were not produced. It's like filthy rags. See, anything that you produce by your own efforts is like filthy rags. And God's eyes is nothing good. It does not produce anything good in His sight. Because it's through the blood of the Lamb that you are saved. All your deeds, apart from that, are like filthy rags. They do not produce anything good in the sight of God. Because you're depending on your own rather than on God. And when you understand that concept that you're saved by grace and not by works, then your good deeds are accepted by, by God 
Because now when you do good deeds, you do it to please Him. You do it unto Him. You do it for Him and not for yourself. So the change in your life that you were able to accomplish by your own strength, they're like filthy rags. Period. So, right here, the five ingredients that we mentioned are myrrh, cinnamon, calamus, olive oil, and acacia. If I'm pronouncing them right. Excuse me for my uh, accent. And I'm, 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 I'm going to break it down to you. These ingredients and the property that each of them hold. And the first one is myrrh. It was used uh, to um, embalm the dead. Amen. So that's the first ingredient. And what it does, it moves us to irritability. It provokes, in other words. It, 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 it embitters as a narcotic. To trouble you, it means to trouble you. In order to make you stronger. Because he wants you to grow. One thing that I discovered. Is that when Christians get saved. God forgives you for your sin. But guess what. The reason why many of us. We don't grow. The reason why we fall back. And we go back to the things of the world. Is because we forget that God still needs to deal with. Those areas of our life. That cause us to sin in the first place. And it can come in many forms. Whether it's anger. Whether it was desires and, 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 and or, or, or corrupt passions, lust, whatever it might be that you struggle with. And so because, you know, God wants to work in our lives and we, 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 we forget about that, that process that, that, that God needs to do in our lives, that anointing. You know, he sends that anointing upon us and it starts to provoke us. We, 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 we feel ir- irritable. Because he wants to, he's calling you to a higher level in your walk. The Bible says that he has, uh, uh, that he has uh, raised us in Christ Jesus and has seated us in the heavenly places. But many of us don't want to be up there where you know we call ourselves Christians and yet we're conformed to the pattern of this world. The Bible says in Romans twelve one. To offer our bodies as a living sacrifice unto our Lord. For this is our reasonable uh, a service. And then it goes on to say. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. You see. Before accepting Christ into this world. Into our lives. We were conformed to the pattern of this world. We thought like the world. We walked like the world. We saw like the world. We felt like the world. And we made decisions according to the world. We took on the nature of the world. Of the devil. Because everything of the world is of the devil. Your righteousness, your self-righteousness, and everything that you did that it's not holy, that's considered to be sin, is conformity to the world, to the ways of the world. So now the Lord is calling us to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. But see, we don't want to do that. So we become lukewarm Christians. And we're indulging in the things of the world. We're participating in the with with, with with in the sense of the world. The Bible says that that friendship with the world is enmity with God. 
is an enmity with the world with, with God. So when you're out there with the world and you're having fun with the world and indulging in their sin, see they're in enmity with God. And by you being friends, you fall under the same condemnation. Because you're condemning yourself. Because God does not condemn you, you condemn yourself. Let's get that, you know, straight because, you know, although the Bible says that he did not come to condemn the world, but to save it, he did not come to condemn you. You condemn yourself by your own actions. Because sin condemns you. You see, the Bible says that we have been baptized in his death in Romans chapter 6. When you're baptized with him, you're baptized in his death. That's what the Bible says that you need to uh, he, he he invites us and he instructs us and he commands us to pick up our cross because we die daily unto ourselves. See, you cannot be the Lord's disciple if you don't follow him and pick up your cross and die to yourself. When the when that when that uh, ingredient of myrrh comes into your life to anoint you, it 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 causes uh, pro, it provokes you. You feel troubled inside because it, want, it God wants to make you strong. He wants you to grow. And there needs to be growth. That's why in uh, Matthew chapter 13, it's ta it talks about the seed that fell on good ground uh, and others that fell on rocky ground and not on good soil. Where is that word of God falling? How is that? Where is it falling in your heart? Is it in rocky ground? Is it among thorns? Is it in bad soil? Because if it is, then you're never going to grow. And you might fall back into the things of the world. But if you're allowing it to fall in good soil, see, how's your heart? How's your heart? Is, is your heart producing good fruit or bad fruit? Because nothing could come... Uh, nothing good can come out of a bad tree. Nothing bad can come out of a good tree. Either you're a good tree with good fruit or you're a bad tree with bad fruit. Because out of the heart comes evil, desires, comes greed, and comes all. That's what the Bible says. That's why we need a new heart. The Bible says that our heart is deceitful above, uh, above, uh, above, uh, above else. Who can understand it? Can you understand your own heart? You cannot understand your own heart. Only God can understand your heart. And I've discussed this before. That many times we say, well, God knows my heart. Well, yes, he knows your heart. He knows that it's deceitful about everything else. Who can understand it? Only God can understand your heart. No one else can understand it. Because out of it proceeds, you know, evil deeds and greed and lust and many other things. That's what Matthew says. So if you're going to say that God, God understands my heart. You got to understand what context are you saying? Are you saying it all because, you know, well, you know, God knows I'm this way. He knows I try to do good. And, well, are, are you doing God a favor by, by trying to be good? Is, is that what God requires of you? I don't see anywhere where, you know, the Bible says, you know, well, you're doing me a favor. The Bible says that, you know, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek, seek him. So if you diligently seek the Lord, he's going to reward you according, accordingly. Let me read what it says in Jeremiah 79. The heart is deceitful above all things. And beyond cure, 
Who can understand it? Who the Lord is asking? He's asking you. Who can understand it? Can you understand it? But look what he says. I, the Lord, search the heart. Not a psychologist. It's not in you. You're not the one that searches your own heart. It is the Lord that searches your heart. And examine the mind. It is the Lord that reveals to you, in other words, the depths of your heart. To reward each man, each person, according to their conduct. According to what their deeds deserve. So, whatever it is that you're indulging in, whatever your actions are, Whatever your conduct is, guess what? God is going to give you according to your deeds, according to what you deserve, according to your conduct. You want to be a bad tree with bad fruit? Well, guess what? That's what you're going to get. But if you come to the Lord, He'll heal you. That's what He would do. God will heal you. God will restore you. God will give you a new heart. He will remove. That's why it says to remove that stony heart. And he'll give you a heart of flesh. Because your heart is stone. It's a stone. It's hard. It's prideful. It's arrogant. It does, not want, it does not want anything to do with God. That's why we come to God. Amen. And Hebrews 10, 22, it says, Let us draw near with a true heart and fullness assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. And we're going to get into the conscience. I spoke about the conscience before. The Bible refers to it as um, the inward parts. And when you look up that word in the Hebrew, it's actually talking about a kidney. And it's interesting that it's, it, 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 it makes it... it, it uh, it compares it to a kidney. Why? Because you know it's it's it, the kidney. It's a um, conduit in which it uh, allows all toxic to to come out of there. If it's not working, your kidney, then no toxins can come out. It will not. You know it'll it'll destroy. It will kill you. Right. So. The subconscious is our conduit where uh, it's toxic. And that's why we uh, are toxic in a relationship. That's why we're jumping from marriage to marriage. That's why, you know, we have uh, homosexuality or homosexual tendencies uh, or bisexual, uh, you know, thoughts or... Uh, lesbian uh, tendencies or you know we, we we have a hard time being faithful or we fall into drug or uh, drugs or uh, drinking or who, the list goes on and on greed lying right but that's why we need to be sprinkled that's why we need to draw near uh, to God with a true heart a true sincere heart you know surrendering to him, surrendering to the Lord saying okay Lord I give up, you know, because let me tell you, one of your worst enemies is denial. That is the enemy because you will not accept the truth. And I said, having a heart sprinkle from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. See, you cannot waver 
that's the key. Do not waver. Even when you're you're struggling, even when you uh, have setbacks, you continue, you fight, and you don't give up. That's what the Bible says. Put on the armor of God because you're in a war. Bible says that we don't fight we don't fight against flesh and blood, but but against principalities and power. And and He has given us, uh, you know, the mighty weapons in Christ Jesus for the pulling down of strongholds. Those strongholds are those toxic uh, things in our mind, and we're gonna get into that as well. For He is faithful that. That, that promise. Amen. And you see, we need each other. You can't do this alone. People think, you know, that you can be a one-man warrior, a one-man Christian in this journey. Let me tell you this. You're not. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Find yourself a little Bible study and stick to it. Stay connected. And be faithful and loyal. Or get back to church because, you know, nevertheless, you know, we're more than a community. Church is a, 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 a community of believers, but it's more of a community. Don't don't go to church because, you know, you want to have that sense of community to be, you know, around the Christians. No, be part of it because that is your family. Amen. So, mer. It means that it's hard to bear, resentful, and cynical causing pain by showing intense hostility. And you see, if you feel that way, it's because the anointing is causing you to feel that way. But because what it's actually doing is making you feel uncomfortable. And when you feel uncomfortable, you have to understand why. And you understand because God wants me to die to myself. And God is calling me. He's calling me to, to, to set my mind on things above, not on things below. He's calling me to be a sacrifice and to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And I feel irritated. I feel provoked. I feel trouble inside. But now you understand why. Because it wants to make you stronger. And this is a time where you go through the night season. And many men of God went through the night season. Jesus went through the night season. The children of Israel went through the night season. A, a, a day before they were delivered, there was pitch darkness. And then the next day came when the angel of death came and he went through the whole camp. And killed the firstborn. Of every living creature who did not have the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. Jesus, before he passed away, there was pitch darkness. Not because it was dark, because it was still daylight. When you do uh when you when you look into you know the time frame, it was still daylight. And it was pitch darkness. He went through the night season where he could not feel God. He thought he was forsaken. And that's how you're gonna feel. You're gonna feel forsaken. You're gonna feel God is rejecting. You got you gonna you're gonna feel God is not answering your prayer. You're gonna feel that God is showing favoritism, that he is an impartial God. You're gonna feel like the promises of God are not coming to pass, but that is because he's calling you. You see. Every man of God has went through that. 
and you're not exempt from going through that. Did you know that Job went through the night season as well? He was a man who was stripped of everything. Have you heard the story of Job? His wife rejected him. His children died. His possession was lost. And he was struck with sickness. And he was bedridden. His turn his friends turned on him. So you might not be going through what Job went. You might feel that what you're going through is a lot worse. But look, that's because God loves you. What marriage does not go through troubles? And you see, Jesus is the groom and we are the bride. And God provokes us by sending in the first level of anointing myrrh. Because just how Job was tested, we will be tested. The children of Israel were tested. But you see, they murmur and they complain. And because they did that, they didn't believe in him after seeing all those miracles and wonders. They didn't get to enter into his rest. They did not get to enter into the promised land. They died. And you see, when you go through life, murmuring and complaining, and you've been in church, you know, you've been seen, you've seen miracles, you've seen God move and all that, and you're still murmuring and complaining, you will never have rest in your soul. You will never have rest in your soul. You will never see the promises of God coming to pass. You will stay there in the desert, always wandering. You will never make it into the promises of God. Job, as I mentioned, went through the night season. He said in Job 30, 17, my bones are pierced in me in the night season. And my sinews take no rest. But you see, he never doubted God. He questioned him. He did question him, but he never cursed God. He became bitter. He was provoked in his heart. He was tested. He was tested, and you'll be tested as well. Let me read it again. My bones are pierced in me in the night season. And my sinews take no rest. In Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews 4.12 it says. For the word of God is quick and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit. And of the joints and marrow. And is discern of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There it goes again. That's what the word of God does. It discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. She is not in you, does not originate with you. The Lord, it is the Lord that searches the heart. It is the word of God that's able to, to give you discernment, to know the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's, it's the word of God. 
because it is a sword to fight against those thoughts, those evil thoughts, and those corrupt intents of the heart. But it goes on to say that the that the word of God is quick, is active, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit. Yeah, that's what it's going to do. It's going to pierce it. It's going to pierce your soul and your spirit. Why soul and spirit? Because your soul, it refers to the flesh. And the spirit refers to enlightenment or to the light of God. Because the two have to be separated. You were led by the flesh, but now God wants to lead you by his spirit. And he—that's why you know, the you know you gotta feed your spirit, because the, the more you feed your spirit, the more the soul is gonna be enlightenment under online under alignment, right? You know, the, the the soul is the one that's conformed to the to the pattern of this world, but it's your spirit that needs to be renewed now, right? It's, it is your mind. So, but then it goes on to say, and the joints and marrow, it pierced even the joints and marrow. Did you know that when you're in sin, you're more prone to be sick, your bones hurt, your, your body hurts and all that. But when you allow the word of God to come into your life, it brings healing. Because the word of God is healing. Sin is sickness. So you must go through the night season. It's not an or these are not ordinary trials. Oh, you know, someone you know at work uh, was mean to me. That's not a trial. These are not ordinary trials. When you go through the night season, they're not ordinary trials. God is really doing something in your life now. It is anointing that is really doing something in your life now. Something within you is provoking you to cause you. To really see deep down into the intents of your heart. And to discern, you know, your thoughts. What really are your thoughts? The Bible says that my people, they do not know to, how to discern between the clean and the clean, the holy and the, and, 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 the, and the holy. You see, we're living in a time now where many Christians and pastors and leaders, they don't know how to discern between the holy and the holy. That something that... The church has lost discernment in. And I kid you not. Why you think the world is under the condition that it's in? Why, especially America? Because you have to understand that America is founded with Christian principles. It was pure. It was more holy. It was more, uh, more innocence. Little by little, the enemy crept in. While the church was busy... To involve with the structure and their policy and the governance of the church and how we do it and how, you know, uh, you know, and while they were too involved in activities and all that, the church, the enemy used that against them and he worked around it. And that's why we are at where we are at now. The church is guilty of that. But that's another topic for another day. These are not ordinary, not ordinary trials which you're going through. But there are specific transition times where God moves us away from depending upon ourselves 
to depending on him. That's what he wants. He wants you to depend on him. That, that is what the anointing does for you. When it starts to operate in your life, when the levels of anointing start to operate, and there's no, you know, specific levels. Not like you know the myrrh, and you know, it's like no. But just to get you to understand, uh, uh, to, to get you to understand that these ingredients in the natural have a spiritual application in our lives. That's why it's in the Bible. And it's to strengthen our faith. See, that's what God wants to do. He wants to strengthen your faith. Faith has lost its meaning now. There's, trust me, it has lost it. I even see it in pastors. And I come down hard on pastors because they're the ones that are responsible. And I'm holding them accountable. In the nice season, what it does for us when the anointing, is, when the myrrh is... Is, is is causing us to be irritable and is provoking us, texting us, and, and is troubling us. Is for a, a greater good. Is to strengthen us in our faith and to to to, to teach us to walk in the spirit. Because I mentioned before that the flesh is at war with the spirit, and the spirit with the soul. They're both at war with each other because the spirit wants the things of God, while the soul wants the things of the of, of the world. The second ingredient, cinnamon. Cinnamon means to erect, to set up or establish. To change. It speaks of glowing and burning. Cinnamon is an antibacterial, which it, it affects and, re, and relieves pain. It refreshes the mind and relieves tension, improves concentration, and it, leaves, it lifts up depression and restores strength, constant physical ability. So, in the spiritual, is an antibacterial. You see, the enemy is going to try to come at you with all kinds of viruses, diseases. Not just literal, but symbolically speaking. And what cinnamon does, that second ingredient that's part of the anointing oil, it acts like as an antibacterial. And with the word of God, that's what it does. So when you're going through that process, the first level of the anointing, when that myrrh is doing its work in your life, when you learn to trust in the word of God, it acts like the second spice or the ingredient of the anointing oil. The holy anointing oil. It helps you to concentrate. You see, I have found in my own personal life that when I read the scriptures, when I read the word of God, especially in the morning, because I had to start my day off like that, I'm able to think way better. I'm able to focus. I feel much better. I feel closer to God. I feel the joy of the Lord in me versus when I don't. I don't feel myself at all. And you know why? Because I need God every day of my life, not just sometimes. Every day of my life, I need God. You see, the Bible says, for as he thinks 
in his heart, so is he. How are you thinking in your heart? You need to think like him. And that's why we need to take on the mind of Christ. The Bible says that we have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? When you're reading the word of God, you're entering into the mind of Christ. You're entering into the mind of God. And that is why when you read the word of God, it becomes like an antibacterial against all viruses, against all sin, against worldly desires of the world. You're able to discern better. You're able to make better decisions. And when myrrh and sin come together, they, they, they stimulate each other, causing both to act more quickly under increased pressure. So when you allow the anointing of the Lord, when you allow the myrrh and the cinnamon oil to, to, to uh, do its work in your life, you're able to overcome pressure. That pressure of feeling irritable, of being provoked, of being tested. Because it is like a pressure that you're feeling. But that's because you have the enemy trying to drag you back. You're fighting to, uh, uh, you know, you're, 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 you're in a battle of good and evil. But when you allow the anointing of God to be poured into your life, what it's going to do is going to help you. To sustain that pressure that you're feeling in your spirit, in your mind. Because it does feel like you're going to explode. So what does the anointed do, for, anointed do for us? It works as healing property. It's going to provoke you. It's going to test you. But guess what? With it, God has given you the ability to focus to have spiritual discernment, to stay alert. So what it does is teaching you to die to yourself. You can either accept it or not accept it. You can either face it, fight it, or retrieve and lose a battle. What are you going to do? So next week, we're going to go over the three ingredients that are left of the five ingredients in total. And we're also going to discuss Isaiah ten twenty seven. Stay tuned. Because once we're done with this uh, part two of part one of what the anointing does for us, once we're, d we're done, then we're going to jump into how it operates in us. But see, it cannot operate in you the way it wants to operate in you. You see, people want to be used mightily by God. Oh, God, anoint, anoint me. But you, you're not allowing it to do what it wants to do for you in your life. You're, you're, you, you have not discovered that the anointing does something for you. It does something in your soul. And what the anointing does is going to take you through a nice season. Let me know what you think. Comment. If you have any questions, please ask. God bless you.